As we come to the ministry of the Word this morning, I'd like to read a couple of passages, then seek the Lord's face in prayer. First, I want to read from Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, Now after that John was delivered up, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then Acts chapter 20, verse 21. The Apostle Paul says that he was testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks or Gentiles. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the ministry of his holy word. Father, thank you for the privilege studying your word again today. Thank you for your mercy. I pray that you would open up our minds that we might understand the scriptures. We pray that as we consider saving faith this morning, That you would work saving faith in the heart of anyone here that doesn't believe. And for those of us that do believe, that you would increase our faith and increase the consistency with which we live by faith. And all of this, Lord, to the praise and glory of your great name. We are totally dependent on you We need your strength and grace by the Holy Spirit. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So come and bless your word. For Jesus' sake. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the free offer of the gospel. And we saw when we looked at the free offer of the gospel that God in the free offer of the gospel requires... Repentance and faith, and then last week we opened up repentance, and so now today I want to begin to consider faith. And I was going to try to do all of this on faith in one message. I wonder why are you laughing at that? I mean, why do you think that's funny? I think it's ridiculous. So I couldn't do it. I freely admit my failure. I was going to have three points this morning. The first point was going to be a word of instruction. I want you to understand what faith is. And then my second point was going to be a word of admonition. Now, by admonition, I don't mean rebuke and reproof. I'm talking about warning because we live in a world of danger. And there are counterfeit things running around masquerading as saving faith. And I wanted to protect you. And I wanted to warn you about these false ideas of faith and these different things that can be confused with saving faith. And so that's a word of warning or admonition. I wanted to warn you and protect you so you could discern. So in the first point, I wanted you to learn. And in the second point, I wanted you to discern. Then there would have been a third point. 
And the third point, I want to give you not an admonition and not instruction so much, but an exhortation and motivation. So I thought, well, how am I going to say that? I want them to learn, discern, and yearn, but I don't want them to yearn. I, I'm not going to say learn, discern, and yearn, because I don't want you to yearn. I want you to do more than yearn. So I called it learning, discerning, and living. I want you to live by faith. I don't want you to yearn to live. I want you to actually live by faith more and more. I want to motivate you to live by faith. You see, just mentioning the three points is half a sermon. So basically, I said, this is crazy. I can't do all this in one message. Not only would I be exhausted, they'd be asleep. This is undoable. So the good news is I'm not going to try. The bad news is I'm planning to do this now for three more weeks, uh, two more weeks today, and then two more weeks. So today, I want to consider faith over the next three weeks. And today, I want to talk about learning, a word of instruction. I want you to understand what faith basically is and why it matters and all that. I want to, want to basically focus on instruction today. Now, in this word of instruction, there's going to probably be a little more than learning because I don't just want to give a Sunday school lesson. But because it's primarily instruction, I felt obliged to wear my Reformed Baptist Seminary shirt today because being a, a teacher and instructor, I get to wear my seminary shirt. Right? Be that as it may, that's where I'm going to focus today. God willing, next week, assuming that we get back alive from Grand Rapids, God willing, next week, I want to give you that word of admonition or the word of warning. I want to do, I want to focus on developing discernment next week. I want you to discern the difference between genuine faith and these counterfeit things. And then the week after that, God willing, I want to focus on motivation and exhortation. And hopefully, so we go from learning to discerning to living. Learning, discerning, and doing. Right? Do you, uh, so you understand why I'm not going to try to do all that in one week? It's just too much. Can't be. It probably could be done, but probably better if it wasn't. All right. So today, let's talk about what faith is. Let's. I want to teach you something. I want you to learn something. I want you to know something. Maybe you already know. But if you already know, then I want to remind you of something. So I want to talk about faith now. In time past. When I studied faith and presented faith in the academy and other contexts, I looked up all the different places where the word family is found. And I had to look up the Old Testament and the New Testament. So for this, I'm just focusing on the New Testament. I'm going to get into all the Old Testament. There may be a reference here or there to the Old Testament terminology, etc. But there's basically a, a basic word family. There's more than one term, but... The basic word family, there's a noun that's translated faith, and then there's a closely connected verb that's translated to believe. And so believing and having faith are very closely connected in the New Testament. And so basically, I want to start out with what faith is in terms of its distinctive feature that the Bible stresses, highlights shines the light upon by way of emphasis. Then I want to look at the broad foundation because faith is like a target. It's got an outer 
circle, and then an inner circle, the bullseye. So after I talk about the general idea, the distinguishing feature of faith, then I want to talk about the broader foundation, the outer circle of the target. And then I want to zero in on that inner circle, the bullseye of what saving faith is. And then because I don't want it to just be uh, a Sunday school lesson, I want to talk about so, so what? And try to drive it home. Now you with me? See where we're going today? Okay. So then what's, what's the general idea? The broad distinguishing feature of faith. In general, believing is having confidence in something that it is true. Or in someone that they are credible, that they can be trusted. So, I believe that if I drop this bottle, it will fall. You believe it too? Right. You think I should drop it? You want me to drop it? You want me to catch it? There you go. I dropped it, it fell, right? I was right to believe that it would fall. Why do I believe that? Because I believe in gravity. Okay? So I have confidence that if I drop this bottle, it's going to fall because I believe in gravity. So I have confidence that that's true. That confidence is based on my experience. You had the same confidence, and your confidence was based on your experience because you've seen it. In fact, some of you probably fell more than once. And you know about gravity, and some of you, I think, probably learned about it the hard way, right? Something fell on your head. Now we're not going there. About what fell on whose head and the damage it did, we won't go down there. But we'll simply say that. Now, faith is just a little bit more than that. That's the general idea, right? Ah, but saving faith has got a distinctive that distinguishes it and makes it just beautiful and special. Because saving faith is confidence in someone that's invisible. Someone that you've never seen. And something that you can't see with your own eyes. It said, seeing is believing. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And Jesus said to Thomas, because you saw me, you believe. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And the writer to Hebrews features this. Now faith is the substance or ground of confidence of things hoped for. The evidence of unseen things. Faith sees things that the eye cannot see. 
The things which are seen, Paul says, are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. Now, I admit, folks, there is a mystery to this. And there are things about this that I don't even claim to understand. But I tell you this, the scripture says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the good and the evil. And it says, he that created the eye, shall he not see? But he doesn't have a body. And he doesn't have physical eyes. Well, how does he see without eyes? And how are his eyes, when he doesn't have a body, in every place? What does it mean to see without eyes? How does faith see without eyes? I don't know. There are things I can't explain. And I'm reminded of a story. Now, this is just a story. But when I think of this story, it, it just it illustrates this point to me. And I, I, I'm a little hesitant to use the illustration, but I'm going to use it. Yeah, I am. It, it's, it, it's, it's by Charles Dickens. And it's the story of Scrooge and a Christmas carol. And Scrooge, now, you see, it's, this is a make-believe story. This is a make-believe story. But in this story, Dickens illustrates this point that somehow a spirit sees things without looking at them with physical eyes. And Scrooge is sitting there with Jacob Marley's ghost. And Scrooge says, I don't believe that you're real, Jacob Marley's ghost. And so he starts, takes a candle, and he starts, in the movie anyway, and he starts moving it around. And he says, do you see this candle, Jacob? And he says, I see it. And he says, but you're not looking at it. And the ghost says, I see it, notwithstanding. So how could you see it without looking at it? I don't know. But it illustrates it. The soul sees. The spirit sees. Not with physical eyes. But it perceives. It discerns. Saving faith is a grace. It is a divine gift that he works in the human soul. And he gives the human soul dead in sin, blinded by sin. He gives it eyes to see unseen things that are very real that you can't see with mortal eyes. Here faith reveals a brighter world beyond the skies. Faith perceives, it sees what cannot be seen by the eyes, but is very real. We walk by faith, not by sight. The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. The things that faith sees are invisible things, real spiritual things. And faith perceives them. It looks at them with the eyes of the soul. That's its distinctive. You follow this? You understand this? 
You do? Explain it to me. I mean, I, I know that this is what the Bible says, but I can't explain it to you. I can only tell you that faith is a supernatural, miraculous, divine work, gift, and grace that God produces in the human soul that enables us to see what is real and invisible and spiritual. That's what it is. And faith is confidence in things that are real and yet they are invisible to the naked eye, to the human eye. That's the first thing. It's a conviction of things unseen. It's a confidence just as strong, if not stronger. My confidence that this is going to drop when I drop it because of gravity. I have confidence. I believe it. So also, faith is confidence in those things that I can't see with my own eyes. Invisible realities of the spirit that are eternal. But that's a general idea. That's the distinctive feature of saving faith. But now, Let's get to the outer part of the target, the, uh, the foundation, the broad foundation, the outer circle. What is it exactly that faith sees? What exactly is it that faith has confidence in? And in whom does faith have confidence? Here's what it is. Faith in the, in the broader foundation of faith in the outer circle of the target, is confidence in God and in his word. Confidence in God's word that it is true. And confidence in God that he is good and that he is reliable and that he is able to do Whatever he promises to do. For example, Hebrews 11.3 goes on to say, By faith we understand that the worlds have been formed by the word of God, so that what is seen has not been made out of things that appear. How do we know? Where this world came from. How do we have confidence where it came from? Because the Bible says, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And I know by faith that God's word is true. And I have confidence that God's word is never wrong. And that's how I know where the world came from. By faith I know, because by faith I have confidence in the word of God that whatever it says is true. But it's not just confidence in the word of God. It's confidence in God himself. In Romans 4, 19 to 21, the apostle describes this confidence in God. It's talking about Abraham. And it's about the promise 
that he's going to have a son when he's too old to have a baby in a natural way. Through, uh, well, let's just say, in verse 19 he says, he didn't have the determining factor be his own body, which was as good as dead. In other words, Abraham's body was not functioning any longer in a procreative manner. And he realized that. But God had promised him anyway that he's going to have a son. And then in verse 20 it says, Yet looking to the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong in faith, giving glory to God. And it says in the next verse, and being fully persuaded, confident, that what he had promised, he's able to perform. So Abraham says, in faith, he sees the unseen. God's power, God's fidelity, God's ability to do whatever he says. He has confidence that God's word is true, that his promise is certain, that God doesn't break his word. God keeps his promise. And even though he's too old, his body is not functioning procreatively any longer, and he knows it, he says, that's not what's going to regulate my behavior, my life, my confidence. I have confidence just as much as this drops. I have confidence if God says, I'm going to have a baby, I'm going to have a baby, even if I'm too old. Because God's promise is true, and God's power is infinite. And whatever he said, he's able to do. That's faith. You follow this? That's faith in general. And Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith sees what cannot be seen with physical eyes, the invisible God. Faith has confidence that he is. Faith has confidence that he's good. Faith has confidence that he blesses and that he's faithful and that he's almighty, even though I've never seen him with my eyes. So faith in the outer part of the target, in the broadest foundation, is confidence in the word of God that it is true. And in God, that he is, and that he's good, and that he's almighty, and he's reliable, and faithful, and whenever he says, you can trust he's going to do it, just as confident that when you drop the bottle, it falls. Now, that brings me to the last thing I want to talk about today, which is the very, the bullseye, the inner part of that target. Not just faith in general, 
in the word of God, not the broad part of the target, that is that the word of God is true and that God is good and that God is faithful and God is almighty, it is that. But then it has a very specific bullseye. It's confidence in a specific pointed word of God. That word is the gospel. Jesus says, believe in the gospel. Have confidence that the gospel is true. And it has a very special focus. Jesus of Nazareth. Faith in. Faith toward. Faith upon. Reliance on our Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. That he is God incarnate. And that he is able and willing to save from sin everyone that calls upon him. So the special focus, the bullseye of saving faith, it involves confidence in the word of God, that's true. And it involves confidence in God, that's true. But it also specially focuses on confidence in the gospel and in Jesus Christ. Now someone said to me, well, wait a minute, what about Abraham? Abraham lived some, uh, <coughs> excuse me, about 2,200 years or so before Jesus came. Are you telling me that Abraham in any sense had, had, had faith in the, that the gospel was true and that Jesus was the Son of God? He had faith in Christ? My answer to that is absolutely yes. This, and I don't want to get into all the details, but let me just say this much. The scripture says very clearly that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham when he said to him, in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And Jesus in John chapter 8 addressed the issue. When his adversary said to him, hey, you're not even 50 years old yet. You've seen Abraham? Jesus was saying to them, look, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Saving faith goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The promise of Genesis 3.15. And the gospel has been revealed more fully with greater clarity and greater light throughout the history of redemption and especially after the coming of Jesus in the apostolic gospel. But don't think that it only started then. The gospel was preached to Abraham 2,200 years before Jesus came from heaven to earth. Does it make sense? So yes, that's the, 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 the focus, the spotlight on the essence of saving faith, it's true. It's especially shined in the New Testament. After Christ comes, God the Son becomes incarnate, etc. The apostolic gospel goes out to the nations. But this special focus, this bullseye, didn't just start then. Saving faith has always involved believing the gospel to be true and trusting in the living Christ 
of that gospel. First of all, it is confidence that the gospel is true. That everything that the gospel says about Jesus is true. That he lived a perfect life. That he made atonement in his death by shedding his blood on the cross. And that God raised him from the dead and he is raised from the dead and alive forever. It's confidence in Jesus that he is the Christ, God incarnate, able and willing to save everyone that calls upon him. That's what we read in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, where we read, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. And Paul underscores it in Romans 10. Because if you will confess, verse 9 and 10, with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. And again, Romans 10, 11 to 14, it goes on to say, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all. And rich to all that call on him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saving faith has confidence that the gospel is true, confidence that Jesus is the Christ, God incarnate, that he is able and willing to save any who call upon him, that he is alive from the dead, and that he's there in heaven at God's right hand, willing to save able to save. Saving faith trusts in Christ. Saving faith calls on Christ. That's what it does. And this is why the theologians have always associated saving faith with three things. I could summarize them this way. When I say that saving faith believes that the gospel is true, has confidence that the gospel is true and confidence that Jesus is the Christ, God the Son incarnate, able and willing to save, and calls upon him for salvation. It's basically another way of saying that faith involves knowing the story of Jesus. Faith involves saying and affirming that that story of Jesus is true. And faith involves relying personally and only on the living Jesus of that story to save you from sin. Faith is knowing the story of Jesus as that story of Jesus is told to us in the gospel. And faith is saying and regarding and having confidence that that story of Jesus, that gospel is true. And faith is also having confidence in Jesus and calling on him to save. That's what it is. So, that's what I wanted to say to you this morning. Faith sees what 
physical eyes can't see. It sees a spiritual reality of God, Christ, the Word of God. And it regards God's Word in general and God's Gospel in particular to be true. And it regards God to be good and almighty and Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God, that God sent into the world to save from sin. And Jesus to be perfect in his life, having atoning death, alive from the dead, seated in glory, and able and willing to save all that call upon him. It's what it is. It's what it does. So, if I were teaching a Sunday school class, I'd say, are there any questions? Thank you all for coming, and let's go have coffee before we go to church. A, you already had coffee. B, it's not a Sunday school class, so now let me ask, so what? So? Now, I'm not going to get into all the warning right now. I'm not going to get into all the motivation right now. God willing, next week, the warning. Be careful about all the false different things that masquerade as faith that you don't get deceived by them. So that's the first thing. God willing, more about that next week. Motivation? Do you realize how important this is? He that comes to God must believe that he is. There's nobody saved with unbelief. This is the only way of justification. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Because the, the Philippian jailer, he said to them, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. This is a matter of life and death. Do you have faith? Do you have faith in God? Do you have faith in God's word? Do you have confidence that God's word is true? Do you have confidence that God is and that he's good and that he's almighty? And that his word is reliable? Do you have confidence that the gospel is true? And that everything that it says about Jesus of Nazareth is true? That he is God? And that he lived a perfect life? And that life is the only, only virtue by which sinners can be right with God? And that he died on the cross an atoning death? And that atonement is the only ground of being pardoned by God and that God raised him literally bodily from the dead and that he is alive and able to save to the uttermost all that draw near to God. Do you regard that to be true? Do you count that as true? Do you have confidence that that's true? And do you personally rely on Jesus Christ as your only ground to be saved? Do you call on him to save you? Have you called on him to save you? Have you come to him and called on him and said, Lord Jesus, please save me? He that comes to God must believe that he is. He that comes to Christ must believe that he's alive. Because I don't see people going to the graves of dead people and asking them for help. I, I sometimes visit graves. We, we go to Maine sometimes and we visit the graves of Ginger's departed relatives 
we honor their memory. We go to New Jersey sometimes. I visit the graves of my, my parents, grandparents, honor their memory. I don't stand at their graves and ask them to borrow some money. I don't ask them for help. Because you don't ask dead people for help. At least I, I, I never did that. How can you go to Jesus and ask him for help if you don't believe he's alive? You can't. You won't. Jesus is alive. Confidence that he's alive is the foundation of going to him for help. Jesus is alive and Jesus can save you when there's nobody else that can save you except Jesus. And he's willing and able to save everyone that comes to him. He's willing to save you. He's willing to save sinners. It doesn't matter what kind of life you live. So I, I, I appeal to you. I plead with you. I entreat you in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Go to him. Call on him. He's able and willing to save you from your sin. Like he saved us who are wretched, hell-deserving sinners. Is willing and able to save you too. Dear Christian, you have gone to him, right? You have asked him to save you. Is this not true? You believe that God is. You believe that he's a rewarder. You believe that his word is true. You believe that the gospel is true. You have confidence in that it's true. You have confidence in Jesus Christ. In the two weeks from now, I want to get in more in detail to motivating us to live accordingly. But for now, just consider this. This should be what regulates the way we live every day of our lives. We walk, Paul says, by faith, not by our whole life, all of our values, all of our choices, all of our behavior should be regulated by our faith. Consider that. Think about it. And may God help us to take it to heart and to learn more and more what it means to live by faith in Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. May God be pleased to bless his holy word. Let's pray.